So good morning, everyone, and welcome. Special welcome to our online viewers who are, are watching the sermon. Uh, what I'm going to do today is preach four separate segments that have to do with grace alone as a foundation for the Reformation. And they're going to introduce some videos that we're watching here in our worship space. They will not be online. You can find them elsewhere, but the four pieces of the introductions will be edited together to be one big sermon for our online viewers. Uh, I'm going to try to give Martin Luther the stage today and uh, see how that works. It might just be that I, I stage Martin Luther up. I don't know. Probably not. Grace. What does it mean? If you have had Lutheran instruction, or maybe other church instruction too, Christian instruction of some kind, perhaps you can answer that question by saying grace means God's undeserved love. Right? Both the Hebrew and the Greek words for grace literally mean favor. And favor is an undeserved act. So grace is God's undeserved activity in your life. So before we ask ourselves, well, what's undeserved? I think we have to make sure we're clear on what we do deserve. And what we do deserve because of our sins is grief, guilt, shame, condemnation, punishment, and anger from God. You can argue with that all you want, but that's the truth. God's a holy and just God, and that's what people deserve for sin. That's what, that's what we deserve. There's a lot of people who aren't willing to admit that because they don't understand or believe in what grace really is. I want to change that. Martin Luther wanted to change that. Uh, I have something to show you here in my pile of papers. It is a, uh, it's a contract. This is a real contract signed by me and signed by an organization that asked me to do some writing for them. So I would give them my writing that became book or some devotions. They would give me fame and fortune. Well, not really, but they'd give me some money to do some writing for them, right? Here's the contract. We're both obligated to each other. Contracts make an agreement very clear. Contracts are legally binding, holding each party responsible to what they say they're going to do. God's grace is a contract. In Jeremiah 31, it calls God's grace a covenant. That's a contract, except this is what makes God's grace exceptional as a contract. It's not God saying, I'll give you something and you give me something. God's grace, the, the, the new covenant, is God saying, I'll give and you receive. That's right here in Jeremiah 31, right? This is the covenant I will make. Listen to these words now. God says, I will be their God and they will, oh, here it comes. What, what does God require? They will be my people. That's not giving God something. That's receiving your identity from his grace. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness. Where do you find God's grace? Where, where do you look for it? Right? it? 
It's right here in this promise, in this binding, contractual, covenant promise of God where God says, I will forgive. Not just the little things. Not because you promised to do better. Not based on anything of your performance or achievements. All because God says, I I want to. Because I love you and my grace is for you. It's a contract that God signed in the blood of his own son and in your baptism. Watch this first video clip about Martin Luther and grace. Every baptism is a miracle. You know, when we hear the word miracle, we tend to think big, bombastic explosions like like in the video, we saw that thunderstorm, right? And the tree was struck by lightning. And, and okay, that was big and bombastic, but there was a bigger miracle in Martin Luther's early life, and it wasn't the thunderstorm. The bigger miracle was his baptism. Miracles that are gentle whispers can be miracles too. In the Old Testament, God appeared to the prophet Elijah, and he said, Elijah, I'm going to appear to you, all right? And he, God sent an earthquake. And he sent a huge tornado, a wind, and he sent fire. And then God said, Elijah, I'm I'm not in any of those. And then there was a gentle whisper. And God said, Elijah, I'm in the gentle whisper. Elijah, you're looking for things that are too big and bombastic. You're looking for explosions. And I'm looking, Elijah, for you to listen carefully to me. And understand that I can work in still, small, quiet ways. That's baptism. When I baptized little Abigail yesterday in the hospital, um, not due to any emergency, just that's that's what her parents wanted to do. Um, There was no stream of light. There was no angel singing. I didn't have a halo on my head. She didn't have a halo on her head. Um, But there was a miracle happening there. You're starting to see in these video clips, and you're going to see more, that, that Martin Luther was baptized as a baby, but then he started to discover the meaning of his baptism. Like Simba in The Lion King, right? The turnaround moment was when Simba discovered his identity, who he was. Your baptism gives you a new identity, and it's you understanding its meaning as you grow spiritually every day that will help you hear God's gentle whisper. I love you. I choose you. You're my adopted child. I will never forget you. I will always forgive you. You are always mine. I'm going to tell you a story It's a story, it's made up, it's a parable, it's not really true, and I'm preempting the story because we shouldn't expect to hear Jesus' voice. He doesn't tell us to expect him to talk to us anymore, like he talked to people for real when he was on this earth, or even like God talked to his prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, He can if he wants, but we shouldn't expect it. All right, so now here's the story. A woman had a friend who kept telling her that she could talk to Jesus. 
This woman was rightly skeptical, maybe like you and I would be, and she said, well, prove that you talked to Jesus. I tell you what, here's how you're going to prove it. She said, the next time you talk to Jesus, you ask Jesus what sin I struggled with in my youth. Her friend said, okay. So, a few days later, they met up, and uh, the woman said, well, uh, did you talk to Jesus? Her friend said, yep, I talked to Jesus. Well, did you ask him what sin I struggled with in my youth? She said, yeah, yeah I asked him. Very curiously, the woman said, well, well, what did he say? And her friend said, well, he, he paused. He, he thought for a moment. And then he said, I don't remember. That's grace. All right, Jeremiah 31. God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. If God who knows all things doesn't remember your sins, how about if you forget them too? Confess them, admit them, and be done. And remember your own sins no more. And remember God's grace. God's grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. So Luther wrote and posted the 95 Theses to speak against indulgences. Because indulgence, an indulgence is really a man-made contract to do what only God can do. Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Right? To say that I can do what God can do makes me God. We do it, though. Right? We, we, we negotiate these contracts with God as if we're God, as if we're calling a shots. God, I, I know I struggle with this sin, but I'm just going to do it one more time, and then I'll be done. Deal? Got it. I just don't want to worry about struggling with financial generosity. Can you just keep giving me stuff, and I'll use it how I want? Deal? Right, we, we do this. We, we try to do what only God can do. If we really want a two-sided agreement with God, the only thing that we're bringing to the table that impacts the outcome of that agreement is our wickedness. And we don't want to do that. What God brings to the table, he says in his words, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. We bring wickedness, God brings forgiveness. God's promise is always bigger than your problem. And God's grace is always greater than your guilt. Do you want that to be as real for you as possible? Then elevate the riches of God's grace in the Lord's Supper or in Holy Communion and come to it often and enjoy it like Martin Luther did. God's grace is never lost. It's never confused. It never needs anything from you other than you needing it. So maybe where do you find God's grace? Maybe that really isn't the best question. 
think the, rather than looking at it in terms of where do you find God's grace, let's back up even further and ask this question. Where does God's grace find you? And God's grace always finds the sinner, always meets the sinner where you are, always says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I need to remember that more often in my everyday life. You need to remember that too? Say yes. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your grace, for the truths of Scripture, which are rock solid and remind us that you forgive all of our wickedness, the little things and the big things, and you remember our sins no more. Thank you for Martin Luther as a gift during the history of the church who sought to bring the church back to that truth and who influenced the beginnings of the Lutheran church. May we treasure your grace daily. Live in it, remember our identity, and share it with others. Amen.